Welcome to Black Executive Podcast, where we share inspiration and actionable advice for Black creatives going pro. I'm your host, Jazz. With each episode, we'll chat with Black creatives thriving in entrepreneurship, corporate careers, and the nonprofit sector, all while building a network of Black creatives, six head nods apart. Enjoy the show, where the dreamers become doers and the aspiring become inspired. Let's get started. What's up, y'all? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Black Executive. I'm your host, Jazz. Today, we're talking to UI UX designer, influencer, educator, and one of the dopest and most passionate creatives I've come across, Tay Everson. Welcome to the show. What's happening? What's happening? Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you agreed to do it. Like, I'm, I'm really hype about it for real. And I'm like, if you listen to the show, to my listeners, y'all know I get hype about all my guests, but I'm really hyped because I'm not going to lie. When I came up with this concept, I was like, that's one of the people that I want to interview. I've had the honor of collaborating with you on several projects over the past year. I've seen your passion as a creator, your drive as a perfectionist, and I have much respect for you and the standard that you set for a high quality work. Like, for real. I really, I really appreciate that. Um, you're setting the bar really high now. Now I have to deliver. <laughs> you will. I, I mean, <laughs> you will, though. Like you, I feel like you really fully embody the passion of a designer. You design at work. You design at home. Like outside of work, you write about design. You educate on design. Your work has been featured on prominent design publications. You're like sensei of design. So um, on top of that, you're self-taught. So I'm not bragging for no reason. I know your work ethic and your brand growth will speak for itself in this interview. So let's get to it. Can you tell us a little bit about your uh, career in design, how you got started and um, how you became a self-taught designer? Yeah, I, w- I want to first preface by saying I'm about 25 percent teacher taught mm. and 75 percent self-taught. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to sort of give a little bit of background on that and dive into a little bit of my story. It's been a bit of an unorthodox approach to the field for sure. Um, I started out as what I thought was a comic book artist. And if you would have asked me at 13 what I was going to be when I grew up, I would have said comic book artist or a video game designer. And Hmm. it didn't hit me until my senior year in high school when my foods teacher made everyone take an aptitude test. And after taking this aptitude test, I tried to answer the questions as best I could. After taking the test, graphic design was like the number one option for me based off of how I answered the quiz. And I looked into it and I was like, you know what? This seems this seems interesting. So right after she made everyone take the test, the next thing we did was start applying to schools that had whatever uh, the recommendation was from the aptitude test if we were interested in it. So mm-hmm. I applied to a few schools ended up getting into the Art Institute of Charlotte. And it lasted for about a year until I realized that I could teach myself. So that is where the story began and how I got to learn about design. Really? I would have never thought. Who knew that those aptitude tests would be good for anything? You know, like... (laughs) I thought, I was like, this has to be... This can't be real. I remember, like... This the, my high school made every teacher try to give us those aptitude tests. And I remember like 
all of them prior to the one my food teacher gave, I answered all of them wrong. Like I was just going through the motions, just trying okay. to get it over with. So the teacher uh, wouldn't say anything to me. But something told me to answer my foods aptitude tests uh, as honest as I could. And it, it, it mm. helped out in the long run. So universe was whispering in your ear, like, stop playing. I'm trying to tell your destiny. <laughs> You're not listening. Listen to me. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. Okay. So one thing I guess I want to go back to, because you say you asked me why design. Can you talk a little bit about what that is for those who don't know? Yeah, I think I get this question the most. Um, UI design to me is the aesthetic behind the experience you're looking at. Mm -hmm. So the look, the feel, how the buttons, the the colors, all of that, that is going to make up the UI, the user interface of uh, whatever product or uh, website you're looking at. And for UX, to me, that's the function and how things operate. So when you click something, what happens whenever um, the page loads in? What do you see first? Things like that. That is going to be UX experience, uh, the, the user experience. Okay. I just wanted to clear that up because I know, you know, we live in this world, you and I both. So we know what this means, you know, but I have to remember that a lot of listeners are like, what are y'all talking about? And how is that different <laughs> from a graphic designer? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I know you do freelance work and you are also full-time corporate. What helped shape your decision to go full-time corporate versus just sticking with 100% freelance? Yeah, I feel like it started back when I was at the Art Institute of Charlotte. I remember going there initially for graphic design and trying to learn everything I could about it. And something piqued my interest with UI UX design and to make me want to start learning it. and before I shifted majors or shifted my degree, uh, I wanted to sort of test the waters and work with people first. So I literally would hit students up, my classmates, like, hey, look, I'm trying to get into UI UX design. Do you need anything done or do you know anybody that could use my help? And it started with me networking on campus and trying to really get my feet wet with UI UX design. And that led to about two or three different projects. It was very minimal projects. I, I set up a website for a photography th- uh, friend. Um, and then I did a few other smaller projects. But from there, I sort of started uh, wanting to learn more about UI UX design. And after I decided this is what I wanted to do, I I got my feet wet with working with different companies. And Mm -hmm. after I started working with companies, I started thinking to myself, like, this is cool, but I'm the only person given, like, I'm the only designer and I wasn't really working with anyone else. I was the designer, Mm. the writer, the SEO strategist, like the whole nine. Yeah, been there, been there. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, "Mm, this, this can't be, this can't be it. So I started to apply to a few different jobs and I ended up, getting in uh, at a few different places, uh, working at, like as an intern. Mm-hmm. And for me, the reason why I chose to, to continue down that path and stay full-time corporate and not do 100% freelance is for one, I wanted to learn 
how other businesses operated. I wanted to understand like their operations and all the ins and outs of how they function. And then I also feel like it's a growth hack as a designer, yes. getting to work yes. with and collaborate with other people more senior than you, whether or even working with people that are uh, just starting out in their careers. I feel like they bring a new perspective and offer insight that you wouldn't have always thought of. And then also I wanted to use my uh, corporate job as leverage for freelance work. So um, mm. to me, having a corporate job while also working freelance at the moment allows me to be selective with who I work with. Very true. Because you're not, you're, you don't have to just take anything because you got to pay the bills. I get that. Right, right. You're not twisting my arm to work with you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so that like, that piggybacks on another episode that I had and um, we talked about um, using your skills that you learn at your full-time job to kind of, you know, hone your craft and use that to complement your independent client work. So can you talk a little bit about that or can you think of a specific instance in the time in which you like learn something at work and like immediately or later on were able to use that to better your freelance work? Yeah. So just to sort of give background on that as well, I have, I don't think I've shared any of my corporate work publicly. Really? <laughs> not even like the, in your professional portfolio? Not in my professional portfolio. Wow. All of crazy. the work that I have been able to, to show has been all personal work or like personal mm. projects, just pet projects, things that I come up with that mm. um, I'm passionate about and um, I just work on. Uh, but for me at the moment, my corporate job gives me a lot of credibility for prospects. Um, I hear it a lot that once people hear about me, they find me on Dribble, YouTube, Medium, or LinkedIn. And they they say, you know, we we really dug into your profile and we looked at your work exp- your work history and we think you would be the best fit for us to work with based off of the companies wow. you've worked for. And mm-hmm. without seeing any work from them and just looking at my personal projects, that has opened many doors for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that that's perfect because I want to know more about how you use these platforms to like build your business and like leverage the following that you have on these platforms to get more clients and get high profile clients. Yeah, I feel like at the moment, I'm not using them as best I can. And I say that because Mm. on these platforms, I've just recently started dabbing into like outbound marketing and outbound marketing is what you do to attract people to yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. Speaking directly to, uh, to whoever your ideal prospect or client is. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've been doing a lot of inbound marketing that's just me posting things, posting personal projects, and people finding me from that. So if I could make a recommendation to, to, to the listeners or to anyone wanting to one-up me, I would say it's a de- definitely um, see if you can build out a, a persona profile or what your ideal prospect is and tailor your content that way. Hmm. Okay. So can you talk, can you be more specific about what you mean by prospect? we might have some newbies listening who are like, what are you talking about? 
Yeah, yeah. So when I say prospect, it it, it refers to companies or individuals that want to collaborate with you uh, mm-hmm. on a project. So um, for me, I get a lot of my prospects are early stage startups or as of lately, like Fortune 500 companies. So nice. it, it varies. It, it varies from uh, person to person, depending on like the type of work you do and uh, the services you provide. Okay. Okay. So you have people in mind who you want to work with and you kind of work from there. And do you find that, uh, has there ever been a particular client that like you didn't think you would land that you landed and you were really excited about? Yeah, I would say not because of like who the client is, but because of me trying to to grow as a freelancer, as a designer, as a business person. So for example, when I first started out, I was charging next to nothing for, for projects, for work. And I slowly started building up the amount I would charge for projects. So I mm-hmm. went from being 100% free, just trying to get my experience up, learn more about how to work with people, how to collaborate, things like that, to charging like $400 for a project. Mm-hmm. And then it kept going up and up. And then I made a bet with myself. Every new project, I'm going to charge more, not because I want to be greedy, but because I understand the value I bring to the business or the company I'm going to collaborate with. Mm-hmm. So every project I was like, OK, I know I, I have to be higher than this amount. So mm-hmm. I got to start thinking of different ways I can pitch value to these different companies. And mm-hmm. it would shock me how many times like people would say yes over the amount of times they said no. And Mm -hmm. to me, that was very eye opening. Yes, absolutely. You have to know your worth. And what what is it? What is it saying? Closed mouths don't get fed. (laughs) Closed mouths don't get fed. They don't. You got to name your price and say like, this is what, this is what it is. (laughs) So that's, that's dope. How did you like build the confidence to be able to, before before you had the bet, were you just like, okay, I see what other designers are doing and I know what other designers are charging and I, I need to be on par with that? Or were you kind of just like, this is, I'm just choosing the number and going with it? Yeah, so I would be in a lot of different communities, uh, design communities, that is, and just sort of getting a feel for what other people are charging. And mm-hmm. um, I would think to myself like, okay, this is what they're charging. And for a project similar, like a similar project, this is what I would charge. So I started thinking to myself, okay, this is what the market average is. This is what everyone else is charging. And and in order for me to to look like I know what I'm doing, I have to be around that same price point. Anything less, mm-hmm. and I look like I don't know what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. I had to match my competitors or the 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 designers that I was up against. And another thing that helped me. Uh, build my confidence with sales was the fact that I had four years of sales experience prior to Mm -hmm. jumping into design. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so I feel like Jamie Foxx said this one time before, but everybody should do it sales for at least one year in their career because you're, you're doing, you're doing sales all the time. Mm -hmm. Whether, whether you're in an interview, you're trying to sell yourself, whether you're trying to convince your spouse 
uh, on somewhere to eat, you're trying to sell that that restaurant. Mm-hmm. Whether yeah. you're trying to sell a project, you're you're always doing sales, and that ability to to be able to read people and to be able to handle um, objections and to be able to negotiate is 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 very very important to someone's success as a designer or as an individual in life. I see. I definitely see that, and I hear that all the time. And I'm always like, because oh, I never did sales. I could not see myself being a salesperson. Like I'm, I'm the kind of person where I'm like, hey, do you want this? No, okay, I don't want to bother you. Like whatever's best for your life. Like <laughs> you know, I don't want to on your personal space and your preferences. I respect you. Like you know, so like that that would make me like very uncomfortable. But I get that. I, I get the need to step outside of your comfort zone and, and acquire those skills. So. And I feel like as a writer, there have been ways in which I've had to learn how to be persuasive. It's a form, it's a mm-hmm. form of writing. Um, so I've had to use that to sell also. So I kind of get what you're saying on that, too. I get that. Definitely. Um, so on these platforms, even though you say you're not using them to the full potential that you could be, you are like a dribble pro, right? That I am. Hmm. Okay. So can you talk a little bit about that? It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's funny because when I first started using Dribble, I originally went into it with the idea that, okay, I'm going to use Dribble to practice design publicly mm. in front of people to hold myself accountable to, to working on different designs and projects. Cause before I was practicing design privately. So Mm-hmm. I wanted to to get on Dribble because the, Dribble is this community of designers where you're supposed to be able to get like feedback on your work and things like that. So I went pro to only be able to look at stats and to be able to schedule my posts ahead of time. But mm-hmm. pro comes with a lot of different benefits. I wasn't looking at the big features like being able to sell things with a pro account. Mm-hmm. You can you can attach like products you're selling like ebooks merchandise mm-hmm. things like that to your dribble post that comes with a pro account you mm-hmm. can you can add multiple different screenshots to your design to show more of the depth of whatever project you're working on mm-hmm. and there is a ton of different like pro features that I did not even consider and it and they also came with the with the portfolio like a free portfolio site hmm. so for dribble okay. it, it came with a free portfolio site when you set up a pro account and i didn't care about any of that i was like you know just let me be able to look at the stats on these posts mm-hmm. that i make and then let me be able to schedule things ahead of time that way i'm not waking up in in the middle of the night or like posting at random times i want to be able to schedule mm-hmm. like 10 things ahead of time and be able to work ahead of myself but but yeah i, I was not really looking into all the different pro features at first. Okay. Okay. So it wasn't like a huge strategy move or anything like that. It was like, I just need convenience. That's okay. <laughs> I just need convenience. Help me I'll, out here. I'll take that. I'll take that too. So another one that I'm familiar with a little bit, cause I attempted to do some design in a former life until I met people like y'all. And I was like, nah, then I, I'm a, I'm a right. Cause that's what I do real good. Um, but like Behance, uh, is that a tool that you use? Is that a platform that you use? Like, do you feel, I know it's not as popular as Dribble. What, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, actually, I'm not using Behance at the moment, but mm-hmm. Behance is going to become something I use a lot coming up in the future. And Dribble and Behance have two different use cases. So with Behance, you want to post like full case studies. And a case study is just a project that you dive deep into and explain your process behind mm-hmm. all of your design decisions and why you did certain things. Mm-hmm. So whereas Dribble, you're just posting bite-sized snapshots of projects that you worked on. So mm-hmm. for me, since I was doing a lot of like pet projects, I wanted to focus mainly on getting out as many ideas as I could. So that meant not diving as deep into all these different concepts, but just mm-hmm. putting out all the different ideas I had. But Behance is going to be a place where I sort of start to dive into all the different projects and show more of my process and my thoughts behind why I did certain things. Okay, so thought on that on Behance, because you can use it to flesh out case studies. So on my corporate portfolio, um, which I will never see, uh, (laughs) but I'm in my corporate You still got to share that link. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in my corporate portfolio... (laughs) Um, I have case studies and I um, talk through a lot of the uh, content strategy and design choices um, that I made and work. And you're choosing to do that on Behance. So one thing we talk about a lot on the show is like the importance of ownership and things like that. Question for you on that is what makes you want to go with Behance for that instead of using that to build out like TayEbison.com and really driving traffic to your site? Like you are obviously have a following. You're starting to you know, really build this big brand, you know, and you hear that a lot, like even with medium, like I started off writing on medium and now I'm trying to pull that content over to my own site, even with this podcast, like you can listen to Apple podcast, but I want you to go to blackexecutive.com. Right. So like what, what made you, what, what's your thought process on that? Yeah, I think that's a very good point in that at the moment, it's just a means to an end. The, the final mm-hmm. goal is to have your own site that you're going to point people to. Mm-hmm. At the moment, that is in the works and that for right now, just to sort of take advantage of as many eyeballs as I can, mm-hmm. I'm going to post where the people are. And then after I get my own site set up, that's when I'll start to to plug that and point people mm-hmm. over there. But but yeah, I agree the the final, the end goal for sure is to have your own. For sure. Is that an overall goal for you with your entire, I don't know what you call your freelance business is a Tay Everson's super dope design studio business. Like, I don't know what you call it, but is that your end goal? Yeah. So I don't know if it's going to be a hundred percent freelance at the moment, because what I've really found a passion for is educating and coaching designers. So I feel like my end goal is to have a site set up one day that will allow people to go and uh, find me and book for coaching sessions or to learn from me uh, from courses that I've put out or videos. So, you know what I'm going to go into next, your YouTube channel. Can you talk a little bit about that point when you guys like, hey, I'm really good at this. I think I can teach other people how to do this. Did you make a conscious decision to do that? Or was it more something that was like thrust upon you? Like people were asking, we kept asking. How did you kind of walk into that educator role? 
Yeah, I've, it it started with as I became a lot more consistent on dribble. It got the attention of other designers, of course, as well as entrepreneurs who have small businesses or big businesses. And designers would hit me up and say, "Yo, like I really like your design. I, I like the style. I would literally pay to learn how you do things." And at the moment, I was thinking, "Like, eh." Like, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm in a position right now to where I want to teach that yet. But I remember a designer hit me up on LinkedIn and he, a young designer, he was fresh out of college and he he wanted some advice on a project that he was working on. So I ended up just booking like uh, like a, a, a $97 coaching session or just to give him advice. Mm-hmm. And it got to a point where we were in the middle of that coaching session and we were talking and whenever I would say certain things, his reaction, whenever he would have a light bulb moment, whenever something would click is it really made me fulfilled. Like it gave me a very mm. fulfilled um, feeling. And I was like, yo, that I, I, I like that. I really enjoy that. Like I mm-hmm. really liked seeing like someone have that moment. Like when like pulling two different ideas together and and having them be able to help uh, see it clearly. So Mm -hmm. that was um, one of the biggest turning points for me. And then I started thinking to myself, like, how can I do this for more people? And at first, you know, I had a lot of self doubt. Like, Mm -hmm. am am I qualified for this? Like, who am I to be teaching that imposter syndrome? Who who am I to be teaching this stuff? Mm -hmm. So, um. I shut that down with myself. I was thinking to myself, like, uh, just through like previous work experience. So, like, if you if you think about your previous work experience, I'm sure everybody has had a manager at some point who was really good at something, but not the greatest at teaching it. Mm-hmm. And for me, that brings back memories when I was back in sales. I had a manager who could literally sell water to a well, like. He was wow. nice, nice. <laughs> like he had all these accolades and different awards. Like he went on all these trips on the company's expense because mm-hmm. he was the number one salesperson in the district, like across all these different cities and things like that. And it was dope that he was the manager at my store. I'm like, okay, I can get a, a lot of insight from him. I can learn like all the little little things he would do, the things he would say. But when I would ask him for help on things, he would explain it in a way that was hard for me to wrap my head around. Mm-hmm. And what I quickly came to realize is that if I went to my coworker that was around like the same skill level that I was, she was able to put things in a way that I could easily understand. Mm-hmm. Like she, she knew a lot of the pain points that I had and she was able to pick up on all the little mistakes that I would make. And she was Mm -hmm. using words and things that I could relate to. So whenever I thought about that, I was like, right now, I'm not perfect by any means. But where I'm at in my career now, I feel like I can provide a lot of value to designers around my skill level or around uh, levels higher to me because I bring a unique perspective and I can offer learnings in a unique way. So Mm -hmm. that is that is how that came about. Okay, that 
That's good to hear. As someone who is also an educator and is very passionate about educating people um, on writing, well, in anything, but especially writing, um, I feel that I feel that so much, and I respect that. And you also don't sleep on yourself because you also educate non-designers. Because I have received many taste tips <laughs> at work, <laughs> <laughs> and you always know all the high key. So high key man. I can count on you for Hot that. key Tay. Yeah. I'm <laughs> big, big, big believer in shortcuts. Anything I can do to press a key and save time. Yes. And that's efficient design, right? Like, especially having to be in a fast paced work environment. Um, you don't have time to like go through all these long processes, especially when you're repeating the same task over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah, you're not doing your job good enough if you're not looking for shortcuts. Yeah, mm, that's that's a word now. That's a word. <laughs> so speaking of shortcuts, what tools are your favorite? What what tools do you prefer? Yeah, my design tool uh, of the moment is Sketch, and mm-hmm. to me, there's a there's a big debate in the design community between Sketch, Adobe XD, and Figma. Mm-hmm. And Figma to me has the most potential behind Sketch, but Sketch at the moment is my preferred design tool. I know all the shortcuts. I can work really fast in Sketch. I'm able to go from idea to design in a, a short period of time with Sketch. So that is my preferred tool. Another tool that people aren't familiar with is Sticker Mule. People yeah, aren't familiar. With me. <laughs> <laughs> so Sticker Mule is used to like, I use it, if you aren't familiar with Sticker Mule, it's a site where you can go and get stickers printed and uh, you can get them made for like your business, your company, your mm-hmm. brand. And mm-hmm. they come in all different shapes and sizes. But with their site, they have a tool that have a background removal tool. And with this mm-hmm. background removal tool, you put an image in and it takes the background out in two seconds. And hmm. that tool has come in handy so many different times. I can't explain like how much time that tool has saved me. And not too many people are aware of that tool mm-hmm. for background removal because prior to Sticker Mule or these other background removal uh, softwares, mm-hmm. you had to do it by hand in Photoshop. And yeah. that took forever 45 minutes <laughs> to an hour at minimum, depending on the project or depending mm-hmm. on like what image you were trying to manipulate. It took so much time, but now mm-hmm. two seconds, you can, you could get like the background taken out and it's a very crisp image at the end. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see another tool, Pinterest, mm-hmm. Pinterest, using Pinterest a lot for finding and saving inspiration. Of course, that's the whole reason behind that, that site, but mm-hmm. Pinterest I set it up to where I have all of my different uh, inspirations saved into different groups. And whenever I need some extra juice on a project or if I'm feeling like uh, I need to see how other people are approaching a creative problem, then I go to Pinterest. Same thing with, with Dribble. Dribble is mm-hmm. another tool I use for inspiration. Um, again, Dribble to me is used for finding like modern, uh, concepts that push the boundaries for 
what the in, what the current state of the industry is. So to me, that's a good place to go find new creative ideas that aren't really out in the market yet. Mm-hmm. And let me think. Uh, Flat Icon, mm-hmm. another tool. Flat Icon has every icon under the sun. Yeah, I've every been on there. Think, every yeah. icon you can think of for your project, you can find it on Flat Icon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one is also time saver. Not having to create icons from scratch by hand in yes. Illustrator saves yeah. so much time. Unsplash, using mm-hmm. Unsplash for images and mm-hmm. uh, royalty free. Yep, royalty free mm-hmm. uh, photography is uh, where I go. Uh, mm-hmm. Unsplash is where I go for royalty free photography. But yeah, that that is those are like the the tools I use on a regular basis to speed up my design process. Okay, now I noticed you you mentioned quite a few inspiration tools, and I know this is a topic that we've discussed before, like at work a long time ago. How do you? What is the balance, I guess, of seeing someone's work and being inspired by it and creating your own new version of it with just like people who flat out plagiarize other people's designs. <laughs> yeah. I, I, this comes up a lot in the design community. There is a, a saying that there is nothing, ori- like there's nothing original. Mm-hmm. Everything is just a remix of something else. So true. And yeah. so nobody has this original idea or some something that they come up with that is completely new. Um, the the thinking is whenever you're working on a project, you don't want to look at one source for your inspiration because mm-hmm. you will literally completely rip somebody's design and like or mm-hmm. whatever you're working on. If you're looking at it for inspiration, like you would completely steal what they have if they're the only mm-hmm. source you're looking at for inspiration. But I feel like the the key is you have to find several sources of inspiration and pull the best ideas from those sources and Mm -hmm. then blend those into one design. And that's where it becomes yours. And it's not a rip of Mm -hmm. anyone else's work. It's a blend of the best ideas from other projects. That's a good idea. So I ran into that too with um, having to write copy and one of the pet peeves of mine is like when people try to plug in their own copy like beforehand and I'm just like, you know this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because then I see those words and then my brain can't think outside of those words. Um, so like one strategy that I'm using now um, with the, the writers um, that I have working on my team now is um, having a cheat sheet for other mm. words. It's like a bank of words. You just like, Look at the words and then come back with something else because you rewrite what someone else wrote and you can't get out of that. So, yeah, I can definitely see that for design. And I'm sure that comes up a whole lot, especially like with Dribble being so popular. Like you literally are just looking at all these awesome designs all the time. Mm-hmm. And it, I would imagine it would be so easy to just like pretty much duplicate exactly what someone else. <laughs> yeah. A- another tr- another trick that I that I use. Sometimes you're going to work on projects to where a, des- a, a you're working on a creative problem that's so new that you can't find a lot of references for it. So mm-hmm. you maybe can find like one 
maybe two, if you're lucky, of companies that or examples that do it really well or solve that problem really well. Mm-hmm. Another trick that I like to do is to look at that design and you stare at it, you analyze it, you pick apart why it's so good, and then you close the design and you don't look at it again. And then you go to your project and you work from memory. Mm. And the thing with that is anytime you're working from memory, you're going to recreate it slightly differently than it was in the original example that you looked at. You're never going to recreate it exactly how you saw it in Mm. the example. So as you start to, to like sort of recreate what you think you saw, you're going to start injecting your own solution in there. So that's another approach slash technique I use whenever there are limited resources for projects. Yeah, I like that. That's a good one too. Um, this, that's kind of taking advantage of how flawed your memory is. <laughs> Humans have such like poor uh, memory. Um, so it really like takes advantage of that for design purposes. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what is your pattern of error. So every creative has a particular thing that they always like, no matter what, they just do it over and over. And you just have to check that. And I know we talk about that a lot on the writing side. Like, you know, I know that I am bad by using a lot of commas. I will sprinkle commas like the sprinkle salt bay, like I'm a sprinkle <laughs> commas everywhere, you know? And so I know I have to go back and like, like, did I put too many comments? That, is that correct? And I have to throw it in Grammarly or something and check myself. So what is your pattern of error and how do you solve for it? That, that's, a good, that's a good question. Um, I would say one of my patterns of error is only designing one iteration for a project that I'm working on. Mm. So it's usually best practice that you design at least two to three different iterations right. of a project to Mm -hmm. sort of show options. Mm -hmm. And I remember very early on in my career, I would like work on one design and be like, okay, I'm gonna get this to be exactly how it's supposed (laughs) to be. I'm gonna get it to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And then I would put it in front of like the the client, the team or like the stakeholder and they would rip it to shreds to talk about like all the things they don't like about it. I'd be like, yo, why are they, why are they ripping me like this? But I'm an artist and what, I'm sensitive about my. <laughs> I, I'm an artist and I'm sensitive. Don't do me like that. <laughs> but I remember, like, uh, coming to the realization that okay, if I do different options, and share with them two to three different iterations of the same problem, then they would pick one of those and they would either go with that idea 100 percent or want to blend. Uh, the three different ideas together. So mm-hmm. that is one of them. Another one I have is using the same fonts in mm. a lot of my designs. Uh, mm-hmm. I find a lot of good fonts and um, they work really well in a, in a lot of different situations. And I get in a really bad habit of using them everywhere. So like for every project or every concept or every piece of client work I'm working on, I'm like, okay, we're going to use this font because I know it's going to work. Um, mm-hmm. But just trying to open up and learn more about other fonts that, that are out there in the market. But that's those are just a few of the design uh, patterns of error that I have. Okay. I know someone needs to hear that. I know someone is like, yeah, I do that too. So I need that solution. So we all have them. 
And like, you're never going to be like this perfect creative. It's always going to be something. So you just have to have like a checklist of like, I know I do this. So I need to make sure I don't do that for every single project. So yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Because some people are like, I am the pristine, perfect designer and I have no flaws. <laughs> <laughs> no mistakes, no flaws. <laughs> Ask somebody else. <laughs> exactly. Right, right. Like, what do you mean? Like, mistake? Never. No. <laughs> mistake? Me? But, no. Exactly. Yeah. So you do a lot. You do way too many things for me to keep track of. What are your time management skills? Like, how do you balance all of that? You know, life, you have family, you work, you have independent clients. It's just a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. It's something that I constantly try to balance as best I can. But the very first thing I did was I took stock of how I was using my time. So Mm -hmm. I took maybe a day or two and literally would try to be conscious about everything I was doing in the day. Mm -hmm. And I found a bunch of different gaps where I could have been filling that time with more productive things. So For example, for one, I found that I was using social media a lot. I had Mm -hmm. spent hours and hours and hours on social media. So, and even looking at the screen time app on an iPhone, it tells you how often you use Mm -hmm. certain apps. And I would look at like Twitter and IG all the time, like nonstop. And Mm -hmm. I had like hours and hours and hours in on them. And I was like, okay, social media got to go. So deleted social media. Uh, Second thing I noticed I did a lot was play video games. Like I was really I would get on it. I would get on 2K. And before I knew it, I was on there for like six hours and I was I was like, okay, All right, Xbox, you got to go. Yeah. So. Wow. That's what look. I need, I need, I need you to repeat that loudly, and I need, I need a lot of people to hear that, including somebody who live in my house. No, <laughs> no, seriously, but yeah, like that's that's a big one, especially for like hardcore gamers. That's that's a big deal. Much respect, like that's super disciplined. I was, I was bad, like in high school, very little social life, because I was on the game like nonstop, like six seven hours a day my mom would say i'm gonna drive myself crazy banging on the game all the time oh my god Uh, (laughs) she said you're gonna go crazy banging on that game she would say that all the time but but yeah i was like okay if i want to if i want to do this this and that i have to cut these things out of Mm. my day in order to free up more time so after i took stock of everything and i was okay now that I have all this extra time, how am I going to use it? Mm-hmm. So the, the next thing I did was started to plan out my calendars on like setting what I was going to do on certain days and sticking to that. Um, mm-hmm. Because I feel like a lot of the time I would show up to do work for other people, but I wouldn't show up to do work for myself. So if I put it on schedule, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to live by this. I'm going to have to show up like I would if I was going to work for someone else. Yeah. So there's this uh, there's a saying that I, that I read in a business book a while ago. Uh, it says that you could tell a lot. You could tell the success of an op- entrepreneur by looking at their calendar. 
And mm. after reading after reading that, I was like, okay, I gotta take myself more seriously yeah. and started building up my calendar. And um a way that has allowed me to balance work and my personal life is setting days for personal and setting mm-hmm. days for work and not blending the two. Because yeah. I found that when I was trying to blend them and like do work and personal in the same day, if I was working, I would feel guilty that I was away from my family. And if I was with my yeah. family, I would feel guilty that I wasn't getting some sort of work done. So mm-hmm. I found that whenever I completely disconnected them, it was like, okay, for this day, I'm going to focus solely on work between these time periods. And after that, specifically for weekend. So let's say mm-hmm. like Saturday would be a work day. Sunday would be completely uh, personal, doing everything with like the kids, the fam, you know, mm-hmm. making sure I'm not a ghost in my own household. So I get that. I get that. I need to apply that to, to my life. So because I, I, I'm with you on that. I'll sit down and I'll start working. And next thing I know, the Saturday is over. I work all day. And it's like, you know, that that's all that I've done. So um, and I know that's especially hard to balance when you are like us and you work full time and then you have like things that you're doing freelance or your side hustle or whatever, you know, building a business on the side, you know, for you to eventually one day lead a full time job. But, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, you have to you have to figure out that balance. And and I feel like it's easy, especially when you have that go getter mentality to get caught up in like, I'm not doing this. I'm not going hard enough. I'm not working hard enough. Like I need to do more, do more, do more. Just keep like pressing on the gas. Um, to you like burn yourself out or your family is like about to have an intervention. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> They're like, look, I never see you ever. Your kids don't know you <laughs> and you live right. here in the house. <laughs> You're in the house and we don't see you. Yeah, exactly. That was, exactly. I feel like that was one of my biggest fears, like becoming a stranger in my own house. Like mm-hmm. kids not knowing, like, or not knowing who I am, not having memories with me. So I was like, I got to figure out a way to balance it too. Mm-hmm. without sacrificing as much. Yes, I I respect that. You always have to think about, because at the end of the day, like especially as a parent, you have to think about the legacy that you're leaving for your children, right? So I know I think about that a lot. And at, at the end of it, for me, I know everything I'm doing is for them. I want to leave them something. I want them to aspire to something. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it, while I'm doing that, I don't need to forget to raise them <laughs> In the process, yeah, like they're yeah. older, <laughs> you know, I'm so focused on their future selves when they're in their 40s, and I want to have things for them, and you know, but I need to think about right now too, and that time we need to be spending. So, respect, I get that. Yeah. So, thinking about legacy, the question I ask every single episode to all of my guests, because y'all all black, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, what impact do you think your representation in the design community, your work has on the black community, or what impact would you like to have? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um I would say there's a saying from uh that Jim Quick has. He's a he's a he's a memory coach, brain builder, and he has a lot of performance hacks if you want to increase your productivity. But he has this one saying that he says, uh, I don't do what I do to impress you. I do it to express to you what is possible. So I feel like that is how I impact the black community because I want to show others 
specifically uh, people in the black community that, hey, look, after seeing and hearing my story, that you they will get inspired or want to do something similar in their own beat. So mm-hmm. the, my hope is that after hearing my story, they see a door that they didn't once know was there. Mm. Okay, I feel that. Yeah, and I feel like our representation in space sometimes is that's it. Like, that's enough. Just to be there. Just to be there and be like, I'm a Black person doing X. So uh, one thing I have on the show is like, no more I am the only Black X. Because so much of the time, we um, feel like we're the only ones, especially if you're in a work environment where you really are the only one, um, which I've been there several times before you feel like that. Um, But we're out here and more of us are coming. And if you continue to lead your path and set this example, more will come after you like you because they saw you take that path. So, yeah, definitely. Just like being black and living your life. (laughs) Spreading awareness. Yes. Yes. And to know that design is a viable option and a good career for us. And we can work in tech roles and be creatives, which I don't think exactly highlighted enough. It's like if you're in tech, you have to be crunching numbers and writing code. But our work is very important because all that code don't mean nothing if can't nobody interact with the interface. Like nothing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we are important. We are very important. Okay. So you've already dropped a million things. Can you drop a few more for tips and advice to other black creators who may be looking to get into design or that may be into design and looking to pop off their freelance career and do more work? Yeah, yeah. I would say advice to to black creatives is to make sure you remember that as a designer of color, that visibility is invaluable. Mm-hmm. Visibility is invaluable. Um, there's an author um, named Harvey J. Coleman. He says that visibility, uh, to, the, the best way to improve your visibility is as easy as pie. And with pie meaning mm-hmm. performance, image, and exposure. Mm-hmm. So performance being the work you do, image being mm-hmm. the first thing that comes to mind when people think of you. So what it's like to work with you. And then mm-hmm. exposure, of course, how many people know you for your performance and image. And mm-hmm. uh, in his book, Empowering Yourself, he talks a lot about how to use pie. And um, something I want to make sure that Black creatives understand is that um, with this pie method, you want 60% of your time to be focused on building exposure, getting mm-hmm. your visibility up as wide and far as possible. And then you want 30% of your time to be focused on building your image. So your brand, mm-hmm. your personal brand, not just about the colors or your your personal logo, but um, the ex- your, like the experience people have working and collaborating with you on projects. And mm-hmm. then 10% is going to be on performance. And to me, this makes the most sense because performance is a given. You can't have image or exposure without performance. Yeah. You got you to gotta work hard. You got to put the hours in. Um, mm-hmm. And you got to grind it out. And you got to create your own opportunities and build your own luck. There's, a, mm-hmm. there's another saying that I heard. Luck is like a bus. And another bus is always coming. But the only way to get on that bus 
is if you have a ticket mm-hmm. and that ticket is your pie. So mm. that is what I would advise to, to black creators. Focus on your performance, your image, and your exposure. Build that visibility. Uh, make yourself known because as uh, many people of color know, we're often overlooked. And the the more you can you can uh, build your visibility, the harder it's going to be for them not to see you. Yeah, for real. That That is so true. I think there are a lot of conversations going on right now about visibility and us being seen in these spaces and being heard um, in the, the climate of just the state of the world right now is even more important. Like, and I heard something not too long ago. I, and I think it was another podcast that I was listening to. I'm a big Lovecraft country fan. And they talked about how um, a lot of times as black folk, we are hyper visible and invisible at the same time. <laughs> you know, we're hyper visible when we're out walking late at night or we're dressed a certain way or, you know, being talking too loud on the phone in Walmart or whatever. But, you know, we're invisible when we're in meetings. And when we need, mm-hmm. you know, we're asking for promotions when we're trying to strive to do something and we're not being heard. So, yeah, I think visibility is huge. And that's like that's a great gem to drop to folks like. Focus on that and focus on your impact. So last thing for you go, you mentioned so many books and I know you're an avid reader. I'm also an avid reader. I'm sure some of our listeners are avid readers. What is your current read? My current read, hmm, I read like several books at a time. Uh, <laughs> that's how I that's how I maintain my interest. So if I'm I read like two to three books at a time. Um, I'm with you on that. So if I'm reading a book and it gets a little dry and I hit like a a, a patch in the book where it's like kind of hard to like flip through the pages, I like jump to the next book. And like start but reading that, and then you jump back though, because I do that. Yeah, man, I have so many books where I got like two chapters left that I was reading like a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So I'm always like going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. to me, like this keeps me motivated and uh, keeps me intrigued to to want to like keep reading. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so always bouncing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, being active, taking notes trying to be engaged while I read to retain a lot of it because knowledge is not power if you don't use it. So I want to make mm-hmm. sure that I use it as best I can and, re- and re- remember as much as possible. But uh, I'm reading a book right now called How to Negotiate. And mm-hmm. uh, blanking on the artist, uh, on the author's name, but a uh, very good read about um how you can negotiate anything, no matter what it is, your, hmm. your salary, um, your purchase at Best Buy, uh, mm-hmm. anything. So uh, knowing when and how to negotiate things mm-hmm. uh, to save yourself time and get more money. Yeah, that sounds like a really efficient read. I need that. I'm a horrible negotiator. Like, I don't even negotiate when I buy things on Facebook Marketplace. I'm like, you said $20, here's $20. <laughs> I am the biggest, I negotiate everything. I think people hate me because I negotiate. Uh, so like I would go on eBay, negotiate stuff, Craigslist, negotiating <laughs> things like, like um, I got $100 right now and they want $400 for it. 
lowball him. No, no, but, you're not lowballing. But, fuck that. <laughs> oh but that's God. part of the technique, though. The part of the technique, it, it's it's an anchoring technique that he mentions mm. in the book, where um, you lowball them just to sort of get them to come play uh, in your court. So mm. you tell them a hundred, they're gonna say, "Nah, I'm not. I won't do a hundred, but I'll do two fifty or I'll do three hundred. Mm. And just like that, you got a hundred dollars off the bill. So. Ah, you have to have so much God to do that. But I feel like I have FOMO too bad. I'm like, no, somebody else is going to just pay full price. I'm not going to miss it. Like, <laughs> That's the other thing. You got to be willing to, you can't be go. too emotionally involved in it. You got to be willing to let it go. Mm, yeah. I'm going to have to check it come back. Yeah, I I don't know. I get once I by the time I made up my mind that I want something like I want it. Like if if I say this, I want this. Like I want this. I'm going to get this. So like if if someone else gets it, then my feelings are hurt because I'm like I wanted that particular one at that particular price, but I was slow or I negotiated according to you and like they didn't. Not <laughs> so. I feel like um another thing that helps too with me is that. If if I negotiate it and it doesn't go according to plan, it uh it stays with me whether like I really want to buy that again or not. If I really mm. really want to go out and try to find it somewhere else, because yeah. uh, the thing that I read once was that people buy off of emotion and use yeah. uh, logic to justify it later. Mm-hmm. So by not being able to get it in that moment, I'm having to to really sit back and think like, okay, well, did I really want it? Mm-hmm. Um, was I really going to use it? And if so, then I can go out and buy it again. But mm-hmm. if not, yeah. I just let it go. Yeah. Yeah. I get that too. I've, and I've tried, I've tried to tap into like my spirituality and, and my dedication to not being like attached to materials and I'm like, it wasn't meant for me. It'll come back if it's meant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's wasn't meant to that be. Was meant to be. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so you you like dropped all this stuff, and then on top of that, you just hit us with all this book knowledge, which makes me feel like I need to get you back on to just talk about books and your analyses of these books. Um, that might be another episode. Definitely. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so where can people find you online if they want to follow your creative journey? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say right now my biggest platform is Dribble. Mm-hmm. Uh you can find me on there at dribble.com forward slash Devontae Ebison. That's where and that's Delta Echo Victor Alpha November Tango Alpha Echo Bravo India Sierra Oscar November. That was that is how you spell my name. That yeah. is I was not in the military. That is just how I remember the alphabet being in JROTC in high school. <laughs> I was so not, I took me a minute to realize what you were doing because I'm like, what is what is he like saying right now? Like what <laughs> <laughs> he's just saying all these random words. I was like, you can tell I don't have any type of military background and I'm not associated with military. <laughs> I was just like, what is he talking about? Okay, yes. So, Devante, and that is your gummy name, as we say. Mm-hmm. 
That's definitely I can find him, aka Tay. But thank you so much for being on the show. Like I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And I know that there are a lot of young designers that are listening, young Tays out there. Y'all listening. Young Tays. I <laughs> like, hey, I think I want to get into design or I'm in design. I think I want to enhance my skills and they'll find value in this. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Hopefully this episode was able to inspire a young creative to to be able to step out and become more visible. Yo, I really hope that y'all enjoyed that episode with Tay. Tay came through and hit us with the Dexter, okay? He came in with his library card and schooled us real quick with all the quotes and all the authors y'all need to go look up. But I already did it for you. Go to blackexecutive.com, check out Tay's episode, and look in the show notes. But I'm going to hit you with five key takeaways that I got from today's Tay's tips. Number one, take advantage of real-life practice scenarios to hone your craft. From using your job to opportunities, creating those opportunities. Tay really emphasized the importance of practicing, practice, practice, practice. He used his freelance work before he even finished his program and his job to build his independent client skills and thus his independent client work and grew his business. Number two, don't be afraid to price your work for what your worth is. Again, price your work for your worth. Do not focus on trying to undercut the next designer or the next creative and cheapen your brand. Don't do that. You know the time and effort you put into your work. You know the research you did. So price yourself accordingly. Number three, start on a popular platform to gain a following and then migrate over to your own site to own your content and more strategically guide users into your deep pool of products and services. We know ownership is key. Ownership is everything, especially in the black community where so many times we have been denied ownership and in some cases still are denied ownership. But sometimes you have to go where the crowd is and you have to pull people over. So a lot of popular creatives start off producing content on other platforms and then pull them over to their own site because your loyal followers, they will follow you. Number four, be a design originator instead of a player hater. Shout out to the 90s, 90s kids. Everything is a recreation of something new, right? Stop yourself from plagiarizing another designer's design by finding inspiration from those previously created things from multiple sources and distance yourself from the design to make sure that you're creating an original work. You don't want to plagiarize. Don't bite somebody's work. You don't want them to bite your work because you'd be ready for them to square up, right? Number five, share multiple solutions to the same problem to increase the likelihood of your solution being accepted. Everyone. I don't care what your business is. All of us, we are all in the business of solving a problem. If you sell t-shirts, you are in the business of solving a problem, be it putting clothes on somebody's naked body and also whatever your shirt's purpose or goal is, whatever brand identity, any identity that they identify with, you're solving a problem. So make sure when you're presenting solutions to stakeholders, clients, that you are presenting multiple solutions. You don't want to seem like you're a one-trick pony. Show them there's several ways to solve a problem. What's the country saying? Several ways to skin a cat? Yeah. So I have a bonus because Tay came through with so many things. This is a productivity hack. Dissect your time and find gaps where you can be filling it with more productive things. As he said in the episode, you can tell the success of an entrepreneur by looking at their calendar. What does your calendar look like? Do you have hours and hours of dead time? Are you scrolling social constantly? What are you doing right now? Are you listening to this podcast? Are you doing something productive? Are you working out? Are you driving? Or are you just laying there? 
you just relax and listen to my voice. I know it can be relaxing, but think of other things that you can also be doing. Where are you wasting time? Where are you spending too much time? That doesn't mean you can't relax. It doesn't mean you can't have recreation time. You all you need that. You know, I'm all about self-care. Y'all have heard me champion this so many times on different episodes. Therapy, self-care, meditation, whatever you need for your space and your peace and your sanity. But, you know, just make sure that you're using your time wisely. That's all that I have for today. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. As usual, if you like this episode, make sure you leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Go to blackexecutive.com, get your gear and tell a friend. Until next time. Keep aspiring to inspire. Thanks for listening to another episode of Black Executive. If you enjoyed listening in on this convo, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Executive. Have something to add to the conversation? Visit blackexecutive.com to leave feedback and your thoughts could be featured on a later episode. While you're there, pick up your exclusive Black Executive gear and rep the culture. And spread the knowledge. If you know a Black creator trying to go pro, a corporate mogul looking to advance, or a cousin that's always hustling but never gets an idea going, drop them a link to the show. Until next time, keep aspiring to inspire. <laughs>